Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the fourth and the, to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his uh, female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. This is the word of God. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. So far in Galatians, Paul has been explaining why the good news is actually good news. And he's really saying that we believe one of two things. We believe we're either justified by the works that we do, or we're justified by the works that Christ has done. Okay. We heard over the last few weeks that the gospel, the good news, is actually good news 
because it's something that Christ has done. So anyone who's trusting in the works that they do or plan to do or might do, instead of the works that Christ has done, they're really trusting a different gospel, a false gospel. It's not the gospel that the Bible teaches. But Paul knew how easily the good news could be twisted or misunderstood. In verse 17 of our reading today, when Paul asks, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? What Paul's really asking is that if we are indeed justified in Christ, Well, does that mean that we reject the law wholesale and so by rejecting the law become sinners? Does being justified by faith alone mean that we can simply ignore the law or even go against the law? Are we free to live as we like? If if we reject the law because we have Christ, well, does that mean really that Christ is a minister or a servant of sin. In other words, if we know that we are justified in Christ, if we have his righteousness, does that give us a license to sin? If you're following along in your Bible, you'll read at the end of verse 17, Paul's answer to that is certainly not. So yes, we are free absolutely 100% free. Paul has spent nearly two chapters telling us that. If you remember our call to worship from about half an hour ago, you'll remember in verse 5 he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. So Paul is not here putting terms and conditions on the freedom that we have in Christ. But he is telling us that Christ did not die to justify the sin. Christ died to justify the sinner. And how do we know what a sin is? From the law, where it's summarized especially in the Ten Commandments. If you're at the the Galatians Bible study uh, before the summer, you'll remember, I hope, that there's three uses of the law. There's the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. The ceremonial law was how the Old Testament religious services were to be done, things like sacrifice. The civil law was how the government was to be run. We know that both of those uses disappeared with Christ. We no longer have to offer animal sacrifices, because that was a shadow of Christ's sacrifice. We no longer, for example, have a physical temple because the church, God's people, is the temple. And we know that when the light comes, the shadows disappear. The church no longer has any authority to tell the government how to run things. We can't legally force people to come to church or fine them if they refuse to come, although some folk do believe that. We do live, as I said before, in two kingdoms. You're a British citizen, your head of state is the Queen, and if you're a Christian, the head of the church is Christ. So the civil use 
and the ceremonial use of the law is gone. But what about the moral use of the law? Well, just ask yourself, do you think it's okay for Christians to take the name of the Lord in vain? To have an affair with their neighbor's wife? To waste the Lord's day? Do you think it's okay for Christian children to disobey their parents? Christ did not die to justify the sin of blasphemy or adultery so that it was okay for professing Christians to live in that way. It's not okay for Christians to blaspheme or to commit adultery. Instead, Christ died to justify the people who at one time did such things. If you're a British citizen, you have all of the freedoms that that entails. We are free to meet here together. You are free to travel to hundreds of countries. You are free to avail of the health service, social services. That is a right and a privilege that you have as British citizens. But you are not free to live any way that you want. You're not free to walk into somebody's house and thieve their belongings. The moral use of the law is very much along those lines. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, where Christ is the king, yes, you are free. Paul has told us that we're free. But that does not mean that we are free to live any which way that we see fit. If you have been justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, and none of your works have contributed to that at all, that makes you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But that freedom does not mean that you are free to blaspheme the king or to live by a sexual ethic that is contrary to what scripture says. In Paul's words, certainly not. Instead, as Paul has spent his entire Christian life tearing down any notion that we are saved by what we do, in verse 18, we find him saying, If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If he has spent all this time tearing down any idea that the law can justify us, but then he goes back with those false brothers, those false teachers, rebuilding any idea that the law can indeed justify us, well, what does that mean? It means he's proving himself to be a sinner. Because in that case, even Paul has rejected the true gospel. So the use of the moral law is not meant to save us, to justify us. Instead, the use of the moral law is meant to work in our sanctification. It's how the Holy Spirit works in us, conforming us to the image of Christ for the good of the church, to build a body of believers that strengthen each other, encourage each other, Pray for one another. Should Christian children be cheeky to their parents? Should Christians take the name of the Lord our God in vain? Should Christians abuse the Lord's day? Should Christians have affairs? Should Christians go around killing people? No, absolutely not. And we know that because objectively, that is what scripture says. 
Because God's word, like the 40 mile an hour speed limit, is objective. It means what it says. If I interpret a 40 40 mile an hour speed limit as 70, watch out. God's word means what it says. Should Christians fly, fly business class or wear sandals to church or keep their hands in their pockets while they're singing? Your choice. The Bible says absolutely nothing about that. But we do know what Scripture has said. Have you ever noticed, even when we were reading the Ten Commandments, that the folks of the Old Testament, the church of the Old Testament, were only given the Ten Commandments after God brought them out of the land of Egypt? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They've already been rescued, therefore this is how they are to live. He didn't say way back when, I'm the Lord your God, if you do these ten things really well, then I'll bring you out of Egypt. Even the introduction was good news. The law was never, ever, ever given to justify people or to save people. And we know that over and over and over again. In Galatians he says over and over again, by works of the law, No one will be justified. So what is the use of the moral law, the Ten Commandments, if someone is not a Christian? Well, can that law save them? Well, no, because if you look back uh, to verse 16, we read again, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Instead of that use, Paul has a much more startling use. He says in verse 19, For through the law, I died to the law. The law didn't bring life to Paul. The self-righteous Pharisee who was blameless and zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He was still dead in his sins. The law didn't bring life to Paul. Instead, he says here, the law killed Paul. Why? How? When when did it kill Paul? Isn't Paul writing this letter? How can a dead man write a letter? Read verse 20 with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When all of our sin, all of our blasphemy, all of our adultery, all of our Sabbath breaking, that was all imputed to Christ. Christ who was born under the law and he took the punishment for all of that and died in our place. And in fact, that that idea of substitution is like a rocket in Paul's thought. How did Paul die? He has been crucified with Christ. When did Paul die under the law? On the cross. When Christ died on the cross. Paul should be a corpse here, but he's not. Why is that? Well, look at the middle of verse 20. Because Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul is alive because Christ has brought him life. Paul died with Christ, but now Christ lives in Paul. That's what he means in verse 19, if we read it again. 
For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. On the cross of Christ, Paul died. But through Christ living in him, Paul lives to God. If you're trusting in the law to give you life, you will find nothing but death. But if you're trusting in Christ, well, the good news is that you've already died on the cross with Christ. And whoever believes in that, whoever believes in Christ, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That hinge, that hinge is the whole thing on which the gospel rests. The death and resurrection of Christ. The great exchange, our sin being imputed to him and his righteousness being imputed to us. Because anything else will kill us spiritually, stone dead. And the outworking of a living faith is what? Is life. A living faith is alive. Because Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul emphasizes that in the rest of verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul's not going to reject the grace of God or nullify it, say it's nothing. Because if righteousness, if righteousness could come from any other source, from the things that we do, from the things that other people do, then it's no longer grace, but it's something that we've earned. And if that was possible, that means Christ died in vain. Scripture says that the only way is through faith alone in Christ alone. So Christian, when were you saved? 2,000 years ago on the cross. Where were you saved? On the cross. Christian, when did you die under the curse of the law? 2,000 years ago on the cross. Christian, how should you think about the law? It's like the character of God as a picture of how Christ is working in us, how Christ is living in us, sanctifying us, because the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. Even when we were by nature children of wrath, dead in our sins, he loved us and gave himself for us. Not as a rule book, uh, rule book to gain favor or merit or work our way up to heaven, but as a means of grace for people to enjoy fellowship with God and with each other. So we're not left in any doubt whatsoever what it looks like to love God and to love our neighbor. It's not resting on our ideas, but on what God has said. It's like checking our pulse to make sure we're alive. We're not alive because we have a pulse. We have a pulse because we are alive. One of the reformers, Francis Turton, put it like this. He said, the eye alone sees, but not when torn out of the body. The eye alone sees 
because it's connected to its life source, the body. Faith alone justifies because it's connected to its life source, Christ. In Colossians, Paul tells his readers exactly the same thing. He says in Colossians 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He doesn't say that we're free to live however we want. Instead, instead, because Christ is our life, he continues in Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Paul never says that Christians do not sin. Far from it. But he does say that we don't continue to bask in our sin and walk among the tombstones. And again, this is not a to-do list, folks. But it's a very sharp reminder that if we're basking in our reputations for being angry, for being wrathful, malicious, slanderous, obscene people who are swimming in sexual immorality or impurity and love a bit of idolatry, if that's true, well, folks, everything is not okay. Something is wrong. But where are those kind of things summarized? In the Ten Commandments, the moral law. Seeing is a sign that the eye is alive. God working in us. Working is like a a synonym for living. God working or living in us is a sign that we are alive. Because a living faith, a living faith is only living because it's the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who is living in us. Even the good works that we do Have you ever thought that even those are God working in us? That we can't even claim those as our own? Think of it like a pure gold ring. If you walked into a jeweler's, we're going to buy a gold ring. Would you buy one without a hallmark? No, you'd have doubts that it's genuine. But the hallmark isn't something that makes it gold. It simply declares that it is gold. If you think that things like a Christian living a lifestyle uh, of adultery and murder or lust and hate as Christ interprets them, if you think that that kind of lifestyle are hallmarks of having a living faith in Jesus Christ, I've really bad news for you folks. You're wrong desperately wrong. Jesus did not die to justify the sin, like adultery, murder, lust, hate. In Romans 6, Paul continues, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Folks, the good news in all of this is that if we have been justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, well, that means that Christ is indeed working in us. No, we do not have it all together. Paul knew that all too well. He says in Romans 7 that he's a wretched man because he knows himself all too well. But fighting against sin, even when we fail so many times, the fight is a hallmark that we are alive to fight. It's one thing to know Christ to sin and then to seek repentance. It is something else entirely to use that as an excuse to sin and then sin and then sin some more. It's one thing to know that we're uh, not justified by anything that we do and something else entirely to think that that justifies us to do whatever we want. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says that all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And that's because through scripture, we all need teaching, we all need reproof, we all need correction, we all need training in righteousness. And that's not just from everybody. Please be very careful who you listen to. And please don't think that gives you the liberty to go up to a fellow uh, brother or sister and say whatever you want dressed up as reproof. The church is structured in such a way that we have elders for that. The under-shepherds guide the sheep. Sheep don't guide sheep. But being teachable, being teachable is one way that we all, every one of us, learns from the good shepherd. Please, folks, get to know what Scripture objectively says, not what you think it says. Get to know your Bibles. And please, take advantage of the things that your church offers, stuff like the podcast that Scott puts out, or the Bible studies, or the services, or the prayer times, or, or the library. There's a lot going on here that we could take advantage of. Did you know that if you're at 48 services a year, that that equates to roughly 0.6% of your time. Even if it's not here, I hope you get scripture feed, uh, teaching somewhere else. Because you do not need me to tell you that 0.6% is not a lot. Is 0.6% really what it looks like when Paul said in, in Colossians, to set your minds on the things above and not the things that are on earth. And I know there's other social things happening in the church, but I'm talking about things directly related to Scripture. Folks, we are in a difficult, difficult world. And our children are in a more difficult world than we are in. You know as well as I do that our worlds can be turned around in a heartbeat. But if, if a stranger followed you or followed me around for a week, would they come away with any idea that Christ is our life? Would they guess that we were crucified with Christ? 
Will they guess that it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us? Will they presume that the life we now live, we live in the Son of God? Would they guess that we are sinners who have been justified by faith alone? Or would they presume that Christ died to justify our sin? I joined a gym last week. It's not pretty, but couch to 5K if you're wondering on a treadmill. You can see the smiles. Watch this space. But at the gym, there are guys who evidently take their training very, very, very seriously. I expect more of the women to join. They're ripped. They can lift things that I couldn't even push and can probably walk faster than I can run. But it is absolutely obvious that if anybody followed them around for a week, they would see firsthand the commitment that it takes to build the strength, to have that freedom, to do a chin-up, push-up, pull-up, or any other kind of up that they want. Psychologists tell us that it takes 66 days to break or build a habit. 66 days. 66 days from today is the 10th of October. How about, folks, we pick one chapter of scripture to read a day until then? One chapter. Pick a time, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., and get into the habit of reading scripture every day. Start at Galatians might help as we're going through it. One chapter of Galatians takes about two minutes to read. So we're not talking about adding errors and errors and errors onto our schedule. Say a short prayer before you start. God, help me as I open your word. Amen. If you, if you can do it, do it as a family. There's lots of great apps. Bible.is has lots of audio Bibles and lots of translations. And if your first thought to that is, nope, not going to do that, ask yourself why. Why would a Christian not want to read Christ's word? One of the younger members showed me their Bible last week at the door and said that the end of Psalm 119 was one of their favorite parts of scripture. I had it on PowerPoint, but you know. Oh, thank you. Uh, I won't say who it is because I don't want to embarrass them. But folks, that did my heart a lot of good. If anyone's old enough to own a smartphone, that means you can download the ESV app for free. That means that you can read it when you're on the bus or on the train or, or listening to music. And if you miss a day, that's okay. Just keep on with the next reading. We don't need perfection, we just need consistency. But just keep up that habit. Because day by day by day, by day, it will, it will make all the difference in the world. Because folks, even that habit, even the habit of reading scripture every day, like all of the good we do, it's not us working, but God working in us to conform us to the image of his son. Because Christ is living in us. Christ is our life. He is our life, isn't he? Amen. And we thank God for Galatians 2.